Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. We have managed to spend four weeks on chapter one. So, needless to say, we will be coming back and finishing the book. I recommend, if you've not gotten it yet, I recommend you get it. Um, I, I first got it in audiobook form, and I'm not a huge reader. And so, I got an audiobook form, and then I picked up the physical book for the class. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a great book. So, uh, we will come back to it later in the year, maybe even into next year as well. There's a lot of great content. So this first chapter has been about angels and demons, and it's been about kind of explaining the, um, the hierarchy, the systems that are in place on the other side, okay, uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God, and then, of course, we're going to get into the kingdom of darkness today. And I want to preface that by saying I, I don't, we're not sharing this to glorify or gratify anything demonic, okay? I don't want anybody to walk out of here in fear. I don't want anybody to be like, you know, oh, the devil's so strong and so powerful. Listen, if he was so strong and so powerful, you wouldn't be here, okay? If he could do what he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it, none of us would be here. He is limited. He's, a, he's a, an unemployed cherub, as, as Pastor says, and uh, he's fallen. And we have been given more power and more authority than he has. And, and it's got to be truly defeating to the enemy to be overpowered and outgunned by mere people that he himself deceived. So this portion that we're actually going to be starting is on page 14 in the physical book. Um, it's, it's, it's on demons, and we're going to finish, finish out with that. But this is for information. This is about knowing your enemy. This is recon, okay? Scouting out the enemy and seeing what's at his disposal. That's it. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant of his devices, that we know the wiles, the methods and the tactics of our enemy. And this is how we do it, by understanding uh, the systems by which he operates, the things that he does, the attributes that him and those under his authority have. Okay? All clear? So don't anybody walk out saying, oh, Pastor Matt was glorifying demons. No, 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 you're not listening. Okay? <laughs> that is not at all what's going on. No, we're here to expose the tactics of the enemy so that you know when something's moving in your life, oh, man, that's not God. That is, in fact, demonic. And then hopefully in, in the next few months we will get into the actual combat, all right, and get into some things. I do want to say this as well. Next week we're beginning a, a class with Sister Sandra Morgan in here on intercessory prayer. It's a book by Dutch Sheets, and it's going to be a really, a really good class. So it's a five-week month, and she's a prayer warrior, and those are the people you want teaching about intercessory prayer, right? So uh, come back next Sunday for that, and every Sunday in August it's going to be a great time. All right, on page one of your handout, um, there's a, the whole front page is, is a portion of Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 1 to 19. It's in the LEB. This is a version of the Bible that I had never previously read, but it is the Lexham English Bible. Uh, the author references the Lexham English Bible several times uh, in this chapter and throughout the book. So just so you know what it is, I apologize for the uh, paragraph printing. I don't, I don't enjoy that when I'm even doing my sermon notes. I, I give a new line to a new verse with a number and all that. 
That's just how I'm used to reading the Bible. It looks like a Bible to me. So uh, the app that the only app that I had that had a Lexham English Bible in it, um, when I copied all the verses, it pasted them in a paragraph form. So I apologize that uh, for that. It's a little bit of a jumbled read, but I wanted to give that disclaimer. Okay. So I'm going to start reading from the book again. It's page 14 in the uh, physical book, and the section is titled "What Are Demons." says, what happens when any of these powerful angelic creatures rebel against the Most High? If you recall, we talked about uh, the last couple weeks about the, uh, the divine council, the council of the Lord, those divine beings that God has shared his authority with and his power, that he has so much, his kingdom is so vast, his reach and dominion is so vast that he can give authority and power to countless untold uh, angelic beings and he himself is never diminished in his power or authority or kingdom or reign. And so we've, we've spent several, several weeks talking about this divine council of beings, these beings that are on our side, amen, the same ones that Elisha saw on the mountains around him, the same ones that have been at the, the disposal of Christ, the 12 legions, all of this is at our disposal. And so now we're moving into the other side of this, okay? What happens when any of these powerful angelic creatures rebel against the Most High? These angels, after all, are the sons of God, created sons of God. God created them as his spiritual kindred, giving them the ability to choose loyalty to him and obedience to his word. But not all made that choice. The angelic beings who did not choose to obey God were cast away from their heavenly sphere. They remain spirits, of course, and therefore continue to populate the spiritual realm. But by choosing to go their own way, they lost their intimate connection with God as well as their place in the atmosphere of his glory. I see two major consequences to such a fall. First, these angels experience a perversion of their original attributes. Different types of angels who had various abilities and responsibilities in heaven now, after rebellion, have distorted versions of their original characters. The expulsion and perversion of these fallen angels turns them into what the New Testament calls demons. Second, without the atmosphere of glory for which they were made, they need another environment in which to express themselves and fight against God. That new environment is the earth. Specifically, they must work through human agency. This is because God designed humans to rule and take care of the earth. Demons must usurp humanity's role as rulers of the earth. Everything that happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 was about this. Okay, about these demonic powers, specifically Satan, trying to usurp humanity's dominion on the earth. But they also must create a kind of partnership with humans as hosts for their mission against God. The next section is entitled, The Fall of Angels. The prophet Ezekiel offers an interesting proclamation of judgment and lamentation against the king of Tyre. So this is our first page of our handout, Ezekiel 28, 1 to 19. Now this is a passage that is speaking to a man and the spirit behind the man. There are things that he says about the man that are obviously about the human being. But there are other things that he says that are obviously about a spiritual being that are higher and bigger than the man. So it leads us to believe that in this passage, the king of Tyre at at Ezekiel's time, Tyre was on the coast of the Mediterranean in the Holy Land, that king of Tyre was being directly influenced by Lucifer by Satan. The descriptions that are given line up with Isaiah's account of Lucifer's fall. So, he uses terms like being cast out of the mountain of God and all these things. So, it is implied, therefore, that this 
human being was under the direct influence of Satan himself, which we know also happens in the New Testament. Judas, after he betrayed, after he left the, the Last Supper, it says that Satan entered into him. So it can happen. We know as well, Peter, when he was um, coming against Jesus, you know, Jesus was saying how he was going to have to go to the cross and all this. And Peter was like, no, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that way. And he was rebuking Jesus. Jesus turned around and he said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. So we know that Satan can move through human agency. And in this particular passage about the king of Tyre, that is what's happening. So I'll, I'll read some of it. I, I don't know if we'll go through all of it. Um, but I wanted to make that connection. It says, And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Because your heart was haughty, and you said, I am a god, I sit in the seat of the gods, I sit in the heart of the seas. But you are a human, not a god, and you gave your heart to be like the heart of a god. Look, are you wiser than Daniel, so that no secret is hidden from you? By your wisdom and by your understanding, you have gained for yourself wealth, and you have amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By the abundance of your wisdom and your trading, you have increased your wealth, and your heart was proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, because of your regarding your mind like the mind of a god, therefore, look, I am bringing strangers over you, the most ruthless of the peoples, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom, and they will defile your splendor. They will thrust you down to the pit, and you will die a violent death in the heart of the seas. Judgment, right? Will you indeed still say, I am a god, before the face of your killers? And in fact, you are a human and not a god in the hand of those who pierce you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I myself have spoken. Um, let's see. Declares the Lord, the Lord Yahweh. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, raise a lament over the king of Tyre, and you must say to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, You were a perfect model of an example, full of wisdom and perfect of beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your adornment. Carnelian, topaz, and moonstone, turquoise, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, malachite, and emerald. And gold was the craftsmanship of your settings and your mountings in you. On the day when you were created, they were, uh, they were prepared. So you see the shift here in the, in the dialogue. You have this judgment pronounced against the man, the leader of Tyre, and now he's shifted to the spirit behind the man. Ephesians tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spirits that are behind people. This man had a powerful spirit, the powerful spirit, the, the Satan, okay? He was in the garden, in Eden, in the garden of God. It says, uh, you were an anointed guardian cherub, and I placed you on God's holy mountain. You walked in the midst of stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day when you were created until wick wickedness was found in you. In the abundance of your trading, they, they filled the midst of you with violence, and you sinned. And I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I expelled you, the guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Wow. So, so you understand how we make the connection with this being Satan. This very much lines up with Isaiah's account. So, again, you can read the rest of that. It's a, it's a fantastic description. But it, it's a perfect example of uh, demonic spirits, spirits moving in the earth through human agency. And so we have to expose that. We have to understand that. That not every adverse thing that we encounter or every adverse person we encounter is, in fact, just the person. But that there's a spirit behind them 
There's a movement behind them, something bigger than them, that is pushing them in adversity against us. It happens in the church. It happens outside the church. It happens in our homes. But we got to call it what it is. Got to recognize it and cast it down, okay? All right, back to the book. The arrogance of this evil human prince inspired him to claim invincibility and equality with God, so the prophet rebuked him. But as Ezekiel unfolds his prophecy, he clearly switches into another mode and begins to speak of a supernatural being. Remember that human princes correspond to spiritual princes. Uh, Daniel 10.13, which is on your handout. Daniel 10.13 says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Verse 20 says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to the fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And that was actually a historical foreshadow because the next empire after the Persians was the empire of the Greeks, uh, Alexander the Great. Okay, So I thought that that's a very cool note as well. For Ezekiel's prophecy about Tyre's king to slide into a parallel description of a supernatural being should offer no surprise. The prophet says this spiritual entity used to be an anointed guardian cherub who dwelled on God's holy mountain, was covered with precious stones, had the seal of perfection, was full of wisdom and perfect of beauty, walked among the stones of fire, and was in Eden, the garden of God, verses 12 to 14. Such a list clearly describes a member of God's angelic council who appeared even in Eden. But the prophet goes on to say, Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You ruined your wisdom because of your splendor. Verse 17. Further, and leaving no room for doubt that he addresses a fallen angelic being, the Lord says, You sinned, and I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I expelled you, the guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 16. It is logical then that we would encounter an evil spiritual being in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. I included that in, in your handout as well. We don't have to read through it. We've all heard it, I'm sure. The serpent was the former cherub prince who wanted to rise to the highest place of the Lord's council, even making himself, quote, like the most high, Isaiah 14, 14. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He was a high-ranking council member that now appeared in the garden to seduce Eve and steer Adam into human rebellion and death. The New Testament identifies this serpent with none other than the devil and Satan, Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon, which was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, Revelation 12, 9. See also 2 Corinthians eleven three and 14. 11.3 says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He's a deceiver, right? Don't ever, ever forget that. Even if you're ever in an encounter with a demonic manifestation, whatever these things say is not always true. Amen? It's a tactic of the enemy to deceive. And so when you're trying to help somebody who's being uh, manipulated and oppressed by a demonic spirit, then you can't trust everything that they say. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth because he's the spirit of truth. And if he has allowed this thing to manifest so that they can be helped, then it's for their benefit, and he's not going to allow lies to disrupt that. So we need the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, at our disposal in that case, okay? All right. Such a list clearly describes a member of God's angelic council who appeared in Eden. 
Um, oh, I, I jumped back, sorry. The New Testament identifies him as none other than the devil and Satan. And let's see, his rebellion inspired other angelic beings to follow suit. They also were expelled from the heavenly council, Revelation 12, 9 and Matthew 25, 41. That verse says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That specific verse is about those who have rejected the kingdom of God, but the emphasis here is the last part, that, that fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, those that were cast out with him. All right, he says, was this all one rebellion, or were there several rebellions of other council members at different times? Scripture gives various references to angelic rebellion. Genesis tells us that, quote, the sons of God took human wives for themselves, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. So we have these uh, sons of God, these members of the divine council who looked upon the daughters of men and decided that they wanted to be with them physically, and, and they did that. They left their heavenly post, and they were judged. Um, some Jewish resources say that there were upwards of uh, 200 angels that did that. Now, I don't know what the validity of that is, but I think that's just a neat side note. Um, of course, in the vast armies of heaven, what's 200 angels? Like, that's nothing. That's nothing. Uh, but... That's quite a few who would willingly choose to do that. We, we tend to only limit that choice of rebellion to Satan, but obviously that's not the case. There are other spiritual beings that did that. All right. These seem to be the same angels who did not keep their own domain but deserted their proper dwelling place that are now kept in eternal bonds under deep gloom for the judgment of the great day. Jude chapter 1, verse 6 in the LEB. It says, And the angels who did not keep their own dominion but deserted their proper dwelling place he has kept in eternal bonds under deep gloom for the judgment of the great day. So those angels did what they did and were punished. They're already in bondage. They're in punishment. The devil, Satan, has not been bound yet. Psalm 82 reveals that some of the sons of God who stood on the Lord's council became corrupt, while other sons of God clearly remained loyal to him, Job 1.6 and 2.1. Uh, those two passages talk about the sons of God coming to present themselves before the Lord, obviously, to give an account of their authority, all right? And that's when Satan snuck in to, to tempt uh, Job. These rebellious sons in Psalm 82, called Elohim, refused to use their authority among the nations to help the weak, poor, and fatherless. Finally, uh, Revelation tells us that the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth, Revelation 12, 4. It says, and his tail swept a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth in order that whenever she gave birth to her child, he could devour it. Wow, very vivid picture there. Clearly, we find different references to angelic rebellion, which may have occurred at different times. But whether these are separate events or not, they clearly show us that demonic beings are former members of the angelic council who rebelled against the Lord. Okay, does that make sense to everyone? The next section is entitled, Various Kinds of Demons. A large portion of the angelic host rebelled. However, 
characteristics they bore in their previous state, they bear a twisted form of them now. Former high-ranking angels, cherubim, seraphim, and princes are now dark forms of their prior selves. They still carry authority over nations, but they now use their authority to pervert justice, oppress people, resist God's plan, and create war and death on the earth. These are the principalities and powers to which Paul and Peter refer in their epistles. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 1 Peter 3.22, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So this is alluding to the idea that these demonic powers still have influence in the earth at various levels of government and control. And I believe it was last week in the video I shared with you that instance of the, 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 the demon that manifested in the guy. It was sitting right up here, actually, when it happened. And it was, it was just a very eye-opening experience to understand that the hierarchy of the kingdom of darkness as well. That just as organized as God is, the enemy is as well. And that he functions as efficiently as he can because he's got a mission. He's got something that he's here to do and uh, to do to people. And it was just a very, a very, I guess in hindsight, cool at the moment, kind of freaky. But it was, it was a very interesting experience. Um, the demons' former power stations carry over into present rank-and-file positions. We read of rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 6.12. We also find words such as lordships, names, thrones, and angels, Ephesians 1.21. Um, yeah. And 3.10, Colossians 1.16, which I've got on your handout here. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. These are all references to hierarchical positions originally on the Lord's council, but they became evil positions on the satanic council. In any hierarchical system, higher and lower ranks exist. Lower ranking angels who rebelled, became something like ground soldiers in the satanic army. This is to the best of our understanding, okay? These are usually called demons in the Gospels. They wreak havoc in people's lives in various ways. Previously, they operated beneath higher-ranking angels and carried out certain assignments. Now they do the same for their overseers in the demonic realm. Previously, they had various areas of expertise. Now they used perverted, they used perverted versions of those skills to exert the devil's oppressive power over people. For instance, an angel originally tasked with various kinds of communication may now have become a demon that is mute, Luke eleven, fourteen. 14. Uh, this is a story about Jesus. It says he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. So the, the physical uh, manifestation of this spirit was now perverted, and it, it caused the person to be unable to speak. But when the spirit left, he was able to speak. So you see the, the connection, the human agency there, how that it influenced that person. Let's see. Okay. Uh, an angel assigned to extend beauty may now be a demon that causes blindness, Matthew 12, 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So th that spirit in particular also caused physical blindness on the person. Uh, one given to steward the purity of worship may now be an impure spirit right in the middle of a synagogue service. Luke 4.33, this is going to mess with people, but sometimes the devil shows up in church, believe it or not. 
And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Uh, interesting note, this was the very first miracle that Jesus did after the wilderness temptation. So Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He overcame the devil in the wilderness temptation. And then he goes to church and he encounters a demon. And this is the first recorded instance of a demon being cast out of a person. All right. Uh, let's see. On a larger scale, a seraph initially given extensive power to restore may now be a high-ranking prince with power to inflict the worst kinds of diseases on many people. Demons cover a large spectrum of rank and power. They work together. Jesus makes that clear in Matthew 12, 26. He said, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Um, Jesus made that observation because they accused him of casting out demons through the power of Satan. That's right. He said, they said, he uses the power of Beelzebub to cast out demons. And Jesus says, what kind of kingdom functions like that? Even the devil knows better than to work against himself. If only the church knew that sometimes, amen? All right. A side note. Obviously, they do not unite out of love. They unite out of fear. If they do not pool their resources around their common evil cause, they have no hope to succeed. Therefore, as in the case of legion, lower-ranking demons can conglomerate to yield great power over a region, Mark 5, 1 through 20. I did include that entire passage. You know the story. We know it as the Maniac of Gadara. Um, the land of the Gadarenes, and it's a fantastic story of God's deliverance power, amen, and uh, how that he, he restores this man to his right mind and casts out multiple spirits, uh, many thousands. Uh, you read that in Scripture, and you think, well, how can that be? But then when you experience it enough, you get it. You know, we, we had experiences with people here in the church 10 years ago where, you know, after weeks, four, five, six weeks, we'd cast out up to several dozen spirits that, that were manifesting out of these people. And so it makes sense. It, it brings context from the Scripture into the real world, right? You know, there are times we read about these things and we apply some level of myth, some level of legend, right, in our minds. But the reality is this is true. This is how it really works. And it's just as true now as it was in the times of Christ. Amen? The cluster of unclean spirits, legion, demonizes a man and keeps a ten-city area under its dominion. It was an area known as the Decapolis. This story reveals both planes of demonic activity, bondage over an individual, but also government over a region. This legion, the name given to a detachment of as many as 4,000 to 6,000 demons, must also have worked under the authority of higher-ranking princes. We're assuming those numbers based on the numbers for a Roman legion, which was a reference at the time, okay? All right. We are almost done, okay? Is this okay so far? Awesome, awesome. The next section is entitled, Demons Need for Rest. Jesus teaches, when, a, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left, Luke eleven 24. I've got this passage on your handout as well. Jesus said, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return into my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished or, or clean. 
Then, he go, then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. This is a, a reference that we use quite often in helping people understand that when they become free, they must also become filled. Amen? You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to accept Christ. Otherwise, the thing's going to come back, and he's going to come back with seven stronger, and then you're in a worse place than you were before. Uh, pastor told me has told a story to many of us, but I've heard it my whole life growing up. When he was a young minister evangelizing, they encountered a, a young woman. I think it was at a, a camp or something he was at, and she was manifesting, you know, violently, and the the spirits were cast out and all that. But she would not accept Jesus as her Savior. She would not allow him to come in and be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And the last that he had heard was that she was in an asylum. She tried to kill herself. Because those things had come back stronger and stronger. They wanted to help, but she did not want to accept the lordship of Christ. So you can't keep out the enemies of God without the authority of God. And so she would not accept that. And so it's, again, a very real thing that we're dealing with. He says in the book, he says, Why do demonic spirits seek rest? As fallen spirits without the comfort and compatibility of their original environment, they must have some semblance of a house in this world where they can reside and through which they can express their agitated need for evil. Demons need hosts. Even the swine were better to legion than the prospect of being disembodied, leaving their region or heading to the premature judgment of the abyss. Matthew 8, 29, Mark 5, 10, Luke 8, 31. So uh, Mark 5, 10 says, and he besought him such that he would not send them away out of the country. So they did not want to give up their territory. Isn't it interesting? But it, of course, it, it lends back to what we were talking about. But these spirits, they, they lay claim to territory physical territory, but they manipulate that physical ter- territory through the spirit realm, and that's what we have to overcome. All right. On the other hand, higher-ranking spirits inhabit heavenly regions, also called the kingdom of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. Paul said, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. They do not seem to need individual humans to inhabit, but they do still need human regimes through which to express their dominion. They also seem to work through a chain-link connection that extends from lower-level evil activity on the ground to up to higher-level government in the heavens. Again, this is what Legion seemed to be doing. This human connection is the rest demonic forces need. Adding, uh, added to this is the fact that God designed us humans to live by His Spirit. Adam naturally lived when the breath of life entered him in Genesis 2-7. And believers supernaturally live when we receive the Spirit of God in Christ, Romans 8-9. God created us to be inspired by His Spirit, but if we do not have His Spirit, we will have a cavity in our hearts longing for some other kind of Spirit. We must have Spirit. Meanwhile, demonic spirits traverse the earth needing hosts. These two dark requirements find one another like a match made in hell. This is why Paul says we were subject to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience when we were sinners, Ephesians 2.2. Without the Holy Spirit, humans must have some kind of connection with spirit, whether direct demonization or a general inspiration from the spirit of the world. Some people are more influenced by specific spirits than others. That is why, uh, this is why there seem to be different depths of demonic influence over people. Demons need rest and people need spirit. The degree of mutual cooperation as well as other factors determines the degree of influence. In extreme cases, demonic beings express themselves openly through human speech or behavior 
The New Testament calls this being demon-possessed or demonized or having a demon. Matthew 8.16, Mark 9.17. And this is your last verse on here, Matthew 8.16. When the, when the even was come, the evening, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. The Greek word for possessed means to be exercised by a demon, to have or be vexed with, possessed with a devil. So possession, in quotes, is nothing more than influence, okay? People want to split hairs over the blood and, and whether or not Christians can have demons and all of that. Um, I'm just trying to be careful how I say this because I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, I know we have heard our, a lot of our Pentecostal life, we've heard the phrase, the devil can't cross the bloodline. And that example that is used is in Exodus when we're talking about the blood being applied to the doorpost, right? That's the example, the bloodline right there. It's the only instance in Scripture where we see the bloodline. However, if you read the context of that story, the one that the blood is protecting the Israelites from is not the devil. It's God, the angel of death, the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus protects us from the wrath of God. It is the righteous, just wrath of God that sends people to hell. Judgment for their sins. The blood covers our sins, washes us from our sins. It's about us and God, okay? The blood doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you had demonic activity in your life before you got saved or whether or not a demonic spirit has tried to attach itself to your life since you got saved. Okay, the devil is a good adversary. He knows what he's doing. He's going to try to get in wherever he can. That's why Paul tells us never to give place to the devil. If you give him any place, he will come in and he will take up space. Even as a believer, even as a Holy Spirit-filled person. Because as we know, we can be sick in our bodies but whole in our spirits. We can be afflicted in our spirits and whole in our bodies. We are deeper beings than just this one-dimensional creature that, oh, if we have a demon, we're not saved. No, no. It never says that in Scripture. It never says that. And in fact, we have an adversary, the devil, who walks about over the whole earth seeking whom he may devour as a roaring lion, right? So we know the enemy's out to get us. Don't get hung up on this, oh, I can't have a, a demon because I'm a Christian. No, you can. And if anybody ought to be free, it ought to be the sons and daughters of God. If anybody ought to experience the power of his deliverance, it's us. And if anybody's going to show the world what deliverance can do, it's got to be us. And, man, they don't know. And how can, they, how can they hear except they be preached to? And so this is on us. Amen. We have to accept the fact the enemy's out to get us. But we've got more for us than are against us. Amen. And if God is for us, who can be against us, right? We've got the host of God's divine counsel. We've got His Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that spoke the world into being, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you and I. What demon has a right to any part of your life when you've got all that power in you? Amen? What demon has any right to your kids or your grandkids when their inheritance is the kingdom of God? Amen? What city, what prince over a city can resist the power of the kingdom of God? Is the prince over Winchester stronger than the king of kings and the lord of lords? No, he is not. He is not, and all those under him are not either, as well as all those over him. So we have everything that we need to win. Don't be taken back by this. We're here to slay dragons. Amen. We're not here to coddle them. We're not here to tolerate them. We're here to slay them. 
we got to understand our enemy. We've got to understand what we're dealing with. When we pray, we're praying against this stuff. And it doesn't matter if it's in a believer or a sinner, the most evil person you've ever met or the nicest person you've ever met. Every person deserves to be free through the power of Jesus Christ. And we have what we need to do it. Amen? So, I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've learned something. I'm telling you, I have learned from this. You know, you, you serve God a while, and you think you know, you think you've heard most everything at least, whether or not you really understand it all. I've at least heard most everything, but, but I've, I've heard new things and learned new things, and I see the evidence for it in Scripture, so I'm grateful for this. We will come back to it uh, later on in the year and into next year, so please, please, please pick up this book. It's a great thing, especially if you're fighting battles over your generations or over your family. Get in there. Find out what to do. Amen? All right, you receive it? Very cool. Very cool. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.